which explodes. What was your mindset when you stepped in the batter's box? Go yard. I mean, I'm a pitcher. Why not stay as hard as I can? He was so worked up, he vomited on the sideline and then just kept on yelling at his teammates, Steve. Coach, <laughs> Minshew mania, the mustache sensation has taken over Pullman. Well, I don't know. I don't even think he had a mustache when I recruited him. I don't recall. Becoming a sideline reporter for ESPN didn't make me popular. This thing did. I've been getting offers for it all day long. All right, guys, here we go. We're going to have one team, one heartbreak. All right, now we're going to play for each other. We're going to have each other's back. We're going to win this ball game. One team, one heartbreak. Here we go. go. That might be the best sideline report in the history of sideline reports. <laughs> Welcome into this week's edition of Sideline Pass Podcast. Alice Williams, Chris Budd, and Molly McGrath with you as always. Week 8 was the big weekend as the Big Ten came back in action, ladies. And it did feel like finally college football is starting to be whole. We're still waiting on the Pac-12 to start, of course, out on the West Coast. But having the Big Ten back, seeing that primetime game in Minnesota, uh, seeing the Buckeyes back out on the field, it just felt like, okay, we're getting there. This is how it's supposed to be. Um, obviously, Ohio State was as expected, as billed, as advertised, all the hype that surrounds that team. They proved um, legitimate. Obviously, the shocker, of course, was Penn State falling in dramatic fashion to Indiana. <laughs> and I don't know about you guys. I could not have been happier for Tom Allen. He I is know. one of my favorite coaches going back to when he was at Ole Miss like years ago. Um, he is one of the kindest men you will ever meet in this business. And dang, they have been so close for so long. And look, you can say what you want about the way they wanted and the controversy and whether or not you think he was in. But man, they, they got the W and I, I could not be happier for him. What a dramatic way to start Big Ten football, too. And you love the scene in the locker room after the game as the coaches kind of speaking to the team and you can tell he's a little emotional. And then you hear in the background, one of the players say, we love you coach. And then he starts <laughs> to step across the locker room. I mean, those are the moments why we love college football. And it was like Indiana beating Penn state for the first time in decades, like literally decades. Um, that was a really cool way to kind of open up big 10 football. So along with the Tom Allen stuff. So I had the old Oaken bucket, uh, game last year, which is Indiana Purdue, and they won that one in dramatic fashion. I'm doing, and this makes me again, I miss doing the end of game interviews, but he was like giving me a hug. And then this girl comes over mid interview, gives him a hug. And then he's like, Oh, I should explain that's my daughter. I'm just not going to <laughs> giving random hug. He was just so excited. And he's one of those coaches that you know, he was never a big time coordinator, a big time name. And to see the way like the rest of that team rallies around him uh, and to go for it at the end, like put all your chips in the middle and go for it. It was one of those Saturdays where it finally felt like, I don't know what game to watch because there's mm -hmm. so much on. That was a good feeling for sure. And like to have games on into the night. Molly, you were in Pittsburgh for Notre Dame Pittsburgh. Um, a couple questions. First of all, how confident are you that Notre Dame is a top five team? What were your impressions I, of them? Yeah, going into that game, I wasn't really sure if they were a top five team. You know, I just covered UNC and Florida State, and UNC was not a top three team. They're ranked number three when they lost to Florida State. So I said, hmm, is this going to be another situation where we see that? And uh, no, 
That's not the case with Notre Dame. Notre Dame is legit. Notre Dame is a legit top five team. They are strong from top to bottom. And the real question mark for them going into that game was, can they get their passing game going? They were able to run the ball. They have a great offensive line. They've been able to run at will, but they've had no explosives in the passing game. And Ian Book has been indecisive at times. And so Brian Kelly's message to him was, you know, if if you see a window, just throw the ball. Stop thinking about it so much and just let our playmakers make plays. And they were able to do that. Um, Their passing offense really developed throughout the game. And I think that was a turning point for Notre Dame's offense. And they were able to get it done, you know, offensively on the ground and in the air in special teams with a block punt um, headed into the locker room and they were able to score. And then their defense didn't even let Pittsburgh's offense into the end zone. Um, my biggest takeaways from that game is that Notre Dame is a complete team. And I love how honest Brian Kelly is. You know, coaches say, we're not looking ahead. We're not thinking about Clemson. Brian Kelly said, yeah, I'm looking ahead. We have two games to get better before we see Clemson November 7th. And we need to get better. And these are the things we need to do to contend. And we need to be better, you know, in the passing game to contend against a team like Clemson. We need to do these things. And everything he said they needed to do, they did in that game against Pittsburgh. So I'm confident that Notre Dame is a top five team. I don't know if they're able to beat a Clemson. I think hopefully they'll be able to hang around with them and they're not going to get, you know, scored on like crazy 73 points what Clemson does to everyone else. So I think it'll be a competitive game in two weeks. They have a Georgia tech this weekend, Notre Dame does. So they have one more game to kind of tune up before they see Clemson. Um, So biggest takeaways, Notre Dame is legit and Pitt is awful. Molly, you had a unique circumstance because Pitt plays at an NFL stadium. No one was allowed on the sidelines, which as a sideline reporter makes your job's infinitely more challenging. So how did you work around that on Saturday? It was really frustrating. And honestly, like all love out to the NFL sideline reporters because they, I realized how difficult their job is this season. Um, so you're not allowed onto the field in NFL stadiums. And that was a Heinz field protocol. So we had to abide by it, even though we were covering Pitt, not the Steelers. Um, and so, you know, there's that first row But in order to cross from one sideline to the other, and I think most NFL stadiums are this way because of, um, you know, where the teams run out of certain tunnels, the tunnels are in the way of your ability to cross over in that first row. So I had to go up a flight of stairs through the concourse, down a flight of stairs, it back to the first row in order to cross sidelines. And I mean, during a normal game and normal situation, that would still bother me because I hate leaving the playing field when play is going on because I don't want to miss anything. You feel like, what if something big happens and I'm not there and I'm not able to see it? Um, So I didn't love going to the concourse. And then it's like you're running stadium stairs and I'm sorry, but I'm pregnant and it's really difficult to do. And I'm like, my, my lung capacity is not what it used to be. So that was really difficult. So I found that I just stayed on one sideline for the first, half I said okay Notre Dame is the better team we're going to be talking heavy Notre Dame in the second half especially if this is a lopsided game I'm going to stay on Pitt's sideline I'm going to watch Pitt 
I'm going to tell their stories and what I see from them. Um, and then I'll cross over to Notre Dame side for the second half. Also, my coaches' interviews were both on the pit sideline as well. So I just stayed over there. Um, but it did limit me. It limited what I was able to tell because in a normal game, I would be running back and forth and wanting to talk about Notre Dame as they gain momentum. Um, but what I saw from Pitt was a really frustrated team. You you get a good vantage point because you're up above. It is hard to hear things if you aren't able to read lips. So coaches that had the clear face mask, that was really helpful because I was able to read lips and matched up with the audio I was hearing to know what they were saying. But if a guy was wearing a mask, I had no clue. You know, there were moments where I was like, I have no idea what's going on. Um, but I did see some interesting interactions between their offensive coordinator, Mark Whipple, and their quarterback, Joey Yellen, who, you know, I had a ton of stories on Joey Yellen that I wanted to tell. And every time we got ready to tell a story, he threw an interception. Oh, or, <laughs> yeah, or he got sacked. Like, there were so many stories we left on the table just because Pitt wasn't able to string anything together. Their offense just looked abysmal in that game. Um, so that was my biggest takeaway, but it was difficult. I will say a lot of love to the NFL sideline reporters for what they've been able to do. Don't you guys feel like you have those games where as soon as you're about to do a hit and you have some great gold from what you've just seen or heard on the sideline, but you know, it's time sensitive and it's like, okay, we're going to get this and we're going to get this in. And you hear the go down to Allison after second down and it never fails. They turn it over. It's mm -hmm. like, a 60 yard bomb, some sort of big play, and it just dies. You're like, no, it was so good. Now it's like gone. After oh. the play, and this is what always gets me after the play, Chris is next, and they'll be like, oh, studio wants it. Update on the game. <laughs> and I'm like, studio. We, we Get out of here, studio. Our, <laughs> a lot of our games, Matt Barry was the studio host and we I would call it getting buried <laughs> in more ways like than one buried again exactly, exactly I came in with so much stuff into my game and not a single not a single one of my pre-produced pre-planned stuff made it into the game because they just played so really? fast people were getting injured left and right I had this great, you know, graphic made of, I had Cincinnati and UC and we can get into the game in a second, but each team had a player named Kobe Bryant. Cincinnati and SMU. Yeah. What? Yeah. Okay. Um, and so Cincinnati had a cornerback named Kobe Bryant and SMU had a offensive lineman named Kobe Bryant. Both of them spelled differently than the other Kobe Bryant, but all named after him and had some funny stories of like, when you're in second grade and the teacher says, uh, is Kobe Bryant here? And every, like, you're afraid to raise your hand. And I'm like, none of this stuff got in because the game was just, it was just one of those wonky games where all of your stuff just ends up on the cutting room floor. Sometimes that can be a good game though, when the mm -hmm. action is so great that you don't need that stuff. Yeah. Right. That's, Sometimes yeah. what's going on on the field or what you're hearing on the sideline is so much better than all the stuff you'd planned all week to get in. And it's always a little disheartening because you do put a lot of work into that stuff. But if the game is good enough, sometimes I don't mind what that doesn't get in. Um, and the tempo teams play with anymore is really tough. Like Texas, I had um, Baylor, Texas this week, and they they have uh, what's it called? Uh, warp speed and ludicrous speed. Um, so they move on offense and it did, it made it tough to get in. And it's almost one of those two where you kind of feel out what the play is. And if you're, it's going to be a run play and you can tell it's for short yardage, you just keep going, especially when the, um, 
the game starts like to get out of hand, which I know we don't like to do. We never like to talk over snaps, but there was a few times, I mean, you just, I had to bail out so quick and you're editing on the fly in your head and all that. That was my um, first time doing a game at Texas, my first trip to Austin. And this is okay. I'm just going to be honest. Like I, I was just a little underwhelmed with both teams. Um, it was a low scoring game, which was super unusual with two big 12 teams. Baylor, they were in a tough spot. They came into the game having a week of practice, but not having played in three. So it was just a crazy set of COVID circumstances where they had 28 test positive, 14 staff members, 17 in contact tracing, just a very different scenario. And Dave Aranda, credit to him. I mean, he is such a calm, cerebral guy, no excuses, and really try to take a a positive outlook on it. But you could tell it affected them. Their left tackle, who was uh, their backup that was getting the start, he had a practice and a half before the game. So it was a tough spot for Baylor to be in. And then Texas, look, they had areas they needed to improve, and and they did that. Um, They were looking to establish the run. They were able to early. They were able to move the guys. They get some push up front, which was huge for them. And then they were able to hit some explosive plays, which they hadn't been doing much of. Um, Ellinger played well. He was everything everyone said he is. He is a leader. He is um, gritty. He is tough. His left ankle or calf was definitely bothering him. And he played through it. And that's the first time I've heard a coach say, when I talk to my player, and in this case, it was Tom Herman about Sam Ellinger. He said, I feel like I'm talking to a peer. And that's just the relationship they have after four years and and the way he carries himself. And he, he's a special dude. Um, I think it was, it was huge for them to get off that two game losing streak, but yeah, just, I wouldn't say anything really jumped off the field um, with either team. Yeah. After losses to TCU and OU for Texas, everyone is saying Tom Herman has got to go. He's not been able to turn this program around. People in Austin have no patience, you know, for this Texas program, but it has been a while and you would expect this program to be better. Did you sense that urgency? I'm just curious, like what you sensed from this Texas team, what you saw and heard from them, just because I don't really understand the vibe that's going on in Austin right now. Yeah, it is a weird vibe. The other thing that was swirling as well, Molly, was the whole Eyes of Texas controversy. So it's the song they play after every athletic event. And the expectation is that all athletes will remain on the field, win or lose for the song, sing it with the fans, or at least be out there. And it's kind of a nod and a salute to the fans and a thank you for supporting us. And it's gone back centuries. It has um, it has racial histories attached to it. And we don't need to get into to all of that. You can look it up. Um, the lyrics themselves aren't obviously racist, but there are racist undertones. So one of the requests for the athletes and, and some of the change in the social initiatives they put forward in the offseason was to stop singing that song afterwards. And after the Oklahoma game, it ended up being that Sam Ellinger was the only Texas player on the field for the eyes of Texas. And a lot was made of that. Afterwards, it was explained that there was some confusion about if it would be played, when it was going to be played. It was played much later than usual. So the players had just naturally made their way into the locker room after a four overtime difficult loss. Sam was still out there talking to people. And so he stayed out. It's a song that he has a lot of um, familial connections with. 
growing up in Austin, it's a song he sang with his late dad at game. So he feels very positively, positively about the song and the teammates understood that. So there's all this question and controversy about whether they would be on the field or not. And I think it was all magnified to your point, Molly, about the underachievements of the Texas football program. If they are winning and these things are going on, it's a byline. Do you know what I mean? It's not a headline. Mm -hmm. And that to me was the epitome of just things getting, I don't want to say contentious, um, but things just getting a little icy between the fan base and the current program. But they did all stay out there for the song. They all stood out there. It was played. It was normal. It was happy. It was after a win, which helps. Um, I would say things are getting interesting in Texas. And yes, the, the the patience is thin in Austin, as always, and it's no different for Tom Herman. Yeah, and kind of it, it goes back to the Texas is back, and people want to say that every year. And as I've covered Texas a bunch in the last couple of years, because I usually do the LHN game uh, twice a year, and I'm from Texas. My sister lives down there. So I think the issue is this was a recruiting class that came in in 2017 and had so many expectations and no, and they haven't lived up to it. And all of those players feel like they have something to prove before they leave this year. So this was the year that they were going to win the title. This was going to be the year they prove everyone wrong. And what Tom Herman does is changes his coordinators Last year changed both of them. Both of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And are very highly paid. And now at a university, which has already cut 30 to 40 jobs in their athletic department. So can you even afford to, if they were supposed to, you know, it'll be interesting what changes are made after this year. Do you just let this year across all college athletics kind of get a pass because of the money situation obviously the COVID situation and everything else, but on, on top of, you know, just not playing to the level that they should, you now have all this extra money in coordinators that you've just signed over the off season. So I think Tom Herman gets a couple extra years because of that, but it's just like the dynamic there is always so much pressure. Yeah. And a a huge test for them is going to be when they play Oklahoma state next. Like if Texas is able to beat Oklahoma state, who I believe is undefeated right now, then they still control some of their own destiny in the big 12. But right now in the big 12, it's kind of Oklahoma state and everyone else, you know, everyone else is kind of underperforming in the big 12. So that makes you wonder is the big 12 really going to be able to get into the playoff this year. They've been left out in previous years. Um, and Chris, I want to talk to you about, you've seen teams like Cincinnati, you've seen teams like BYU and Zach Wilson, their quarterback, who you love. Um, I'm just curious, like looking at some of the unbeaten teams and some of the teams who have been on the outside looking in to those top four teams, what are your thoughts about like a Cincinnati? How legit do you think they are after seeing them this weekend? Yeah, I think it will be hard this year for a group of five team to make it into the playoffs because what you're going to have is you're going to have an Ohio State or somebody from, you know, the Big Ten that makes it undefeated. Well, what happens if Ohio State doesn't play their full schedule, but they're still undefeated? Let's say they're seven and oh, but you have a Cincinnati team who is 11 and oh or 10 and oh. That's what they have to hope happens is that there's some sort of chaos. I think that Cincinnati is legit. Uh, mm. They had had some questions surrounding their quarterback, Desmond Ritter, who hadn't played very well through his first three games. 
And he, you could tell, like he told me on the phone, like I'm my own worst critic. Like, I don't need to read the negative attention. And the, like, people were wondering, should there be a quarterback change? Uh, he lit it up. Like he woke up to all the criticism and when he's like a fiery guy, like the second, I feel like he's also been there forever. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so, you know, I, I think to his point is I, I, he didn't have his top wide receiver. He's had all this criticism and it was kind of like a big middle finger to the, to the people out there thinking that there should be a quarterback change. But what makes them phenomenal is their secondary, their cornerbacks, uh, their safeties. They're tied for first in the country and in interceptions. And that was the interesting battle between them and SMU. And SMU has one of the most prolific offenses in the country in Shane Bouchelle. I feel like the momentum for the Mustangs kind of went to a quick halt, though, because they lost TJ McDaniel, who was their number one running back. They had lost Reggie Robertson, who was their top ride receiver. So Bouchelle just didn't have the weapons that he was used to. And when you're going up against that Bearcat defense, it was um, it was it was noticeable. And I think that that was a statement win for Cincinnati gave Desmond Ritter some much needed confidence or he would say it's not confidence, but, you know, at least some momentum. Uh, And if they can run the table uh, in the American, then I think that they certainly deserve the New Year's Six Bowl. We'll just have to see. I would love to see them versus BYU, you know, again, mm-hmm. such a stellar secondary against Zach Wilson. Although I'm like so impressed with Wilson that it's like, I feel like he could pick that apart. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like BYU physically might have an edge against yeah. Cincinnati. I feel like they're a much bigger team. Yeah. So that would be interesting. It, it'll just be, we'll have to see what happens with the big 10 and if they can finish it out. I mean, we've already seen Wisconsin's quarterback is now going to be in protocol for 21 days. So, you know, isn't that how many touchdowns he threw for? <laughs> it's just nuts. My mind is blown because I watched that Wisconsin game and absolutely fell in love with Graham Mertz. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, when is the last time Wisconsin has had a total stud star quarterback since Russell Wilson there, you know, he was there for what, like a year or something like that. So that was like an anomaly, but they haven't had a guy like a sexy quarterback. that can really get their offense going. They've always just been like, you know, solid 10 and two teams. That's because there's nothing sexy about Wisconsin. That's why they're so fun. Paul Chris loves being unsexy. It's just who he is. Um, So the fact that they were able to have this quarterback that was so exciting, it's like this fan base finally has their guy and then positive COVID test out 21 days. I mean, 21 days. That's a long time. That's basically half their season. Mm -hmm. It's just, I understand the need to be careful And the Big Ten was already really concerned about these things, but they're just going to ruin things for themselves. And they have no room for error because they just started play. So they can't wait a week. They don't have off weeks. They didn't build any room for error into their schedule. So Wisconsin's going to have to play now with like no one on their roster. It's just ridiculous. I think the Big Ten set up a lot of their programs for failure now because teams like Wisconsin aren't going to stand a chance. 
Well, then it came out that there's a possible positive test for their backup quarterback. I, I, I can see both sides of it because I'm prepping for Baylor this week and hearing about some of the offensive linemen and, and Allison, you had them. They got one practice before having to go play a game. That's the point of the Big Ten. You're not in isolation for 21 days. You're isolated. And then that extra seven days gives you a window to get back your athleticism that you lost after having to stay in your room for 14 days. But it's also like you know, some guys might be able to stay in shape while they're, you know, in their dorm rooms or in their apartment. So I, I don't know. I see both sides of not wanting to like force an old lineman to go play a day after he gets out of protocol, but it makes it nearly impossible when there's no bye weeks and there's no room for error. My only issue is with, well, not my only issue. I have a lot of issues, but my (laughs) biggest issue with this is the rate of the false positives. So if he's asymptomatic or if he retests and they're all negative, how do we account for that? Because Nick Saban got to come back and coach when he had so many negatives in the 48 hour period every 24 hours or whatever their crazy rules are. And now you've got the big tent, like, do they not care? Are they, are they recognizing the fact that these tests are not perfect. And everybody will acknowledge that the people that administer the test, the CDC, it doesn't matter who you talk to acknowledge that these tests are not perfect. And there is a false, just like there's false negatives, there are false positives. So what are we doing to account for those? And is there some leeway? I know for our company, there isn't. And it's frustrating because people know they're not sick. You get retested, you're negative, you're negative, you're negative. Then can we reassess this? Because, And I hate saying this, especially when it's your quarterback and it's, it's you know, Graham Mertz and what he means to a team because every player I think should be treated the same, especially with this in this year. I just wish they would account for that in some capacity because it's a real thing and I'll get off my perch now. (laughs) Yeah. And the CDC says that if you have a positive test and then you have two consecutive, consecutive negative tests, just greater than 24 hours apart from each other, then it was most likely a false positive or you've completely um, recovered once you get those two negative tests. So like the PGA is doing it. That's what the SEC did with Nick Saban in allowing him to come back and coach. And there are different kinds of tests. And I think that's the issue. There are nasal swab tests, which are less accurate. And there is a lot of matter in your nose Um, which can perhaps create a false positive. And then there are nasopharyngeal tests, which are the ones that look like they're going up to your brain. And those, it's very, very low likelihood of false positives with those. And teams are employing both of them. But for the most part, teams are employing nasal swab tests, which are less accurate because they're cheaper and the turnaround time is quicker. So I just, the whole thing's a mess. We're all learning as we go. I get it. But the fact that Graham Mertz completely blew up college football and now he's out for 21 days is just a, a shame. What, Thank what you, Dr. McGrath. Yeah, <laughs> we should note that Molly's dad works in infectious disease or something. This is why she's yeah. so knowledgeable. Why she knows these big words. I know <laughs> all these big words. My dad is the head of biosafety at UC San Francisco for uh, the coronavirus. So I have a little bit of extra insight into these things. Props to Dr. McGrath. Uh, my biggest frustration is that every league is different. So Cincinnati had a game postponed the week before our game. And Luke Fickle was very agitated into the fact that he felt like they could have played. Because unlike the other conferences that have 
a certain number threshold. The American does not. The American just says, well, we, we don't feel like you're able to play the game. And Fickle basically said, like, we would have had plenty of people to play. I thought they made a rash decision. So I, it's really frustrating that we're sitting here like the SEC and Nick Saban. You can find a way to test out of a false positive. But, you know, none of the other leagues can. The American doesn't even have a threshold number. It's just like, I, I you know, I feel like we're making it up as we go. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to we're going to end on a positive note and not on like a positive test kind of note. That is not, in fact, funny <laughs> or positive. So let's let's I want to just tell a, a one of the more humorous stories I heard. It was from Tom Herman and we didn't entirely get into it in the broadcast. So let's, let's leave on, on a fun note. So Tom Herman and Dave Aranda were both um, teammates at Cal Lutheran, this tiny division three school back in the day. And when Tom was there, first of all, he's described as like the mayor of the, the school. And you know, Tom, he's just a super outgoing, gregarious, like big personality. Well, he was also the PA announcer to make a little money. D3, <laughs> no scholarships, right? So he's wow. the PA announcer for men's basketball, women's basketball, volleyball and uh, baseball. He said he got like $30 a game. But the best part about this, and by the way, he still has the pipes. I wish we could have recorded him doing the, like, welcome to Cal Lutheran, men's ballet volume, whatever. Anyway, so <laughs> he was the PA announcer for a baseball game. And there was a bang, bang play at first, which did not go Cal Lutheran's way. And part of being the PA announcer, he also played the music. So he had on his disc man, so this is back in the day, his CD with his sound effects all queued up. And when the umpire made the call, he played like a um, cuckoo clock sound to rip the guy for the bad call. So the home plate umpire turns around, like points up to him. That's a warning, you know, any more out of you and you're out of here. And he's like, all right. So he cues up the next song. He goes, I looked and the next on my playlist was a pig squeal. <gasps> and he was like, I couldn't resist. So after he warned me, I just pushed play. Again. <laughs> and it was a pig squealing. The guy turns around. He's like, that's it. You're out of here. So only Tom Herman, the PA announcer, could get thrown out of a baseball game. No one ever say that Herman doesn't have a good sense of humor. Absolutely. So the, the umpire did not seem to appreciate it, though. <laughs> All right, ladies. It's been fun. Week eight, week one for the Big Ten. Um, it was a good one. And week nine, where is everybody headed? I'm staying. I've got Big Ten for the first time this year. I've got Northwestern at Iowa. Chris, where can everybody find you? I will be at Waco, TCU, visiting Baylor. Nice. And, and I'm going to be in Tuscaloosa for Mississippi State and Alabama. And the big question mark is how can Alabama bounce back after losing Jalen Waddle for the season? Just absolutely oh. heartbreaking. Um, but, you know, next man up, Slade Bolden, is going to be there forward. So the tide will be fine, but definitely a heartbreaking story there. Yeah, I hate that for him. All right, ladies, thank you so much uh, to everybody for listening. Like, share, do all that cool stuff. And uh, we will talk to you guys soon. Have a great rest of the week. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Sideline Pass Podcast.